The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run Walsh. If it's first and ten, Walsh. Any down the distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner here with my guy, Rocky Magania. Ron Cobb Jr. is out. Collecting wedding presents this week, so we're going to be here collecting hot takes with Rocky instead. Rocky, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm doing good, doing good. Just happy to be here, uh, you know, while Ron's out there doing the dollar dance and catching the bills from all the aunties out in the crowd. Aunt Susan's giving them an extra 10 spot for an extra 30 seconds of snuggle time out on the <laughs> dance floor. So I'm... Uh, I'm just happy to be here. Congratulations, Ron. I hope it's an amazing day for you. Absolutely. Best wishes. Uh, uh, it'll be a big day, you know, maybe almost as big as what happens in the NFL about the time that you all hear this show. Every team will be down to their mandated 53 roster, 53 man roster, their, their initial 53 man roster, which is far from final uh, as we expect probably a lot of changes over the next couple of days. But as we come up on that on that date and we start thinking about all the different things that are going to happen on the Chiefs roster between now and then, to me, it, it sort of hinges on, on a handful of guys. Uh, Rocky, any, any bold predictions or anything that uh, you expect to see happen when the roster, uh, initial roster cuts happen over the next day? Yeah, um, I think that Andy Bucks is trend and I think he goes with three quarterbacks. Um, we haven't seen him roster three quarterbacks recently um you know since he's been here usually just rolls with Mahomes and Henny um I think that they've seen enough out of Shane that they're afraid to lose him they don't think he'll make it through to the practice squad and so I think that they actually roll with three quarterbacks this year because I think they've seen enough out of him that they that they want to keep him as the backup quarterback for the future I mean what do you think about that you know, a lot of people are predicting that. I think uh, that, that the Chiefs like him enough or that he won't stick around if they, if they released him. I could see it happening. I, you know, I don't think I would do that, but uh, obviously I'm not calling the shots there. If you keep an extra quarterback, though, what position would you would you carry one less of? 
Well, I think that, uh, unfortunately, Blake Bell kind of freed up that extra position spot already. I mean, the the Chiefs like to carry four tight ends, but you don't need four tight ends. You're three tight ends very deep right now, and they're all quality tight ends. Um, if there's nothing better out there, you don't want to pick up another tight end just for the sake of picking up a tight end. You know, if it's going to be between holding on to, you know, Michelle or or picking up some random, you know, um, tight end off the street, it may make sense just to carry the third the third quarterback and, and and only roll with three tight ends for the time being. If down the line you have an injury and you do need another tight end, well, at that point, that tight end that got injured is going to be moved over to – you know, injured reserve anyway, or the PUP, and then you just bring in a guy at that point. Yeah, I do think Blake Bell's status is, is going to be one of those things that changes over the next couple of days. The expectation is he's having surgery. He's going to be out for a number of weeks. Andy Reid was very clear about that when he usually is not clear about injuries at this time of year when he doesn't have to be. I expect that Blake Bell will go on the injured reserve. Uh, with the ability to return, which means they have to carry him on the 53-man roster at least for a day before that happens. So that's what I was talking about with this roster being in flux for a few days. So assume they carry Blake Bell on the roster day one. Uh, somebody else is getting released. And then when, when Bell goes to IR, then you have another position open up, whether it's a an addition off the street, uh, the waiver wire, a trade, it's, you know, something – uh, something, or maybe they're just bringing back one of these veterans that doesn't get picked up by by somebody else. So I, I do think Blake Bell is sort of a you know a linchpin of of this uh, of this roster, but I don't know that that helps Shane Bouchelle's case because that just really would be another person that they have to carry on the initial roster. So you're probably looking for a couple of guys if you're keeping Bouchelle, you're looking for a couple of guys to get rid of. I don't know if you can cut a second tight end in addition to putting Bell on IR the next day. So I guess all of this to say, I think you'd probably be looking at somebody like Austin Ryder who could potentially be released and then still be available on the street. You can sign him back whenever you want to. Uh, there might be a couple of guys like that at the bottom of this roster that the Chiefs feel pretty comfortable being that 54th man. Yeah, no, 100%. You get a lot of these um, kind of – wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, handshake kind of deals with these bottom of the roster guys where they say, listen, we're going to cut you today, but don't don't talk to anybody else because we're going to bring you back in two days, you know, um, and you'll be back on the 53-man roster. It's just a technicality in order to pass this guy through to, to IR. I think, you know, we saw that. Who was the who was the running back that we the former Bills running back we had a few <laughs> years back where he was on and off on and off for like six times during the season? The infamous CJ Spiller, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. CJ Spiller. Yeah, it's a regular CJ Spiller situation right there. Um, and so you know, yeah, one hundred percent. You know who could? I mean, if you just want to go one to one, Jarek McKinnon could be <laughs> could be a CJ mm-hmm. Spiller, right? Uh, you know, somebody that probably didn't have a ton of demand on the street, and uh, that uh, you know. Uh, maybe they go a little heavy at running back and, and put him on and off as needed. So that's my next point is Ronald Jones. We've all presumed for a long time that he is not on this roster. And I, and I think it's, it's probably still better than 50% that he's not, but I think there's, I think there's a chance. I think there's a door open here for, for Jones. Uh, not that they put a lot of weight into what happens in the third preseason game, uh, but he had a pretty decent showing there. And 
he does bring a, a different element to this roster uh, from the running back room. And you have Derek Gore, uh, who, who is uh, put on IR and then released. And uh, the only other true running back on the roster was released in the first round of, uh, of cuts. So the to me, the door's a cr- left open a crack for Ronald Jones to at least have a shot to stay on the roster. Uh, do you see that happening? I don't see it happening, but I do see that, you know, Derek Gore did crack the door open a little bit to the possibility for Ronald Jones. Um, because I, because I think the plan was probably to have Derek Gore on the practice squad. And then that way they didn't have to carry another running back, but they can call up a guy that they actually believe in, you know, whenever they need him. To me, that really expands your, your options on this roster. And if, if you don't have that, guy on the practice squad with some NFL game experience that you know you can call up and, and insert into the lineup and, and you'll be all right, uh, then I think you got to carry another guy. So I think there's a decent chance they actually do carry four running backs uh, again, you know, and and, and maybe Jones uh, does make it. Maybe they grab a guy off the street and, and to replace Jones. But I, I do think that they're going to need that depth, uh, and it doesn't look like it's going to be on the practice squad. Yeah, I mean the the only the only thing reason why I say that Jones may still be out the door is a couple of reasons. One, he was never a good fit for this offense. Um, he doesn't pass protect. Um, if you can't protect Patrick Mahomes, you're not going to get on the field. And he's had a history of ball control of, of fumbling and ball control issues in the past. Uh, we have guys like Clyde who already and Jerry McKinnon for that instance for. That, I mean, for that matter, that already do what he does very well. Um, if we're going to bring in another running back, we need a guy like Gore, I think, who's a little bit different, a um, little bit more of just like a straightforward north-south type of runner, something that you kind of had in Darrell Williams last year um, as well. And I think that the other thing that goes plays into it is that Derek Gore, it's not like Derek Gore is coming back from an ACL injury. It's a broken thumb. It's not, it's not going to be a 12-week recovery time most likely you know and i think when he is healthy he's we're going to find him back on the practice squad again and then he will resume that role being that call-up guy when they need him and so we're really kind of probably talking about what the first six weeks of the season um maybe and so it's do the chiefs feel like rolling the dice and going with three running backs for six weeks i was gonna say giving that berg uh pinky cash just come cast like that and just bring him back you know, the thing that I, I found a little bit surprising, like he had two of the big plays from scrimmage that this team had last year. Uh, he had a 50 yard reception and a 50 yard run, you know, give or take. Like a couple of massive plays for this team. Uh, and, and you don't think of him as that breakaway speed. You know, he's not Jarek McKinnon in, in that regard, uh, but, you know, he, he finds a way. And, and so. Yeah, I think he's somebody they would have definitely liked to keep around in some capacity. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, if Jones was such a bad fit, though, why would they have signed him in the first place is the question I have. Because everybody knows the knocks on Jones. Everybody knows Ronald Jones, you know, his background and and what he's done in the league so far. Uh, I definitely think they, they wanted to shift a little bit more to this power running offense or at least to have that option on the table. Uh, where they could feature a guy like him. Um, but it, it just, it just, that shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody in the room. 
No, it shouldn't be a surprise. But also, when they brought Jones in, they didn't know what was going to happen with Jarek McKinnon. He wasn't in the back in the fold yet, and they hadn't drafted Isaiah Pacheco yet. You know, um, and you know, by all accounts, you know, Pacheco was a guy that they kind of targeted in the draft as a running back that they were very interested in. They 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 knew kind of the range in which they wanted to take him. It, but you never know if a guy's going to fall to you or not. So, I mean, you take a flyer on on Ronald Jones. You know, that way you have a plan B. We know Veach does not like going into the draft with holes, period, right? And so you may, you, you bring in Ronald Jones as your stopgap, and then you try to upgrade it. And then he did upgrade it, you know, in, in, in my opinion. So then now you're able to get rid of that stopgap because you brought somebody else in. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I think we're probably giving them a little bit too much credit to say that they were targeting Pacheco this entire time. That you know, that feels a little revisionist to me, but uh, uh, but I think they probably were targeting a running back late in the draft that can do some of the things that he can do, and he was certainly on that list. Only reason why I said they were targeting him is if you go back and you watch the for telephone calls for when, when the players are drafted and the team's calling them, um, the Chiefs coaching staff say at one point they say what did i tell you during our visit that we were going to get you i told you we were going to get you and so and so maybe that was all just smoke right you know but you know in that video the chiefs say that they that they had an intention of going out and getting him you know to be a part of this football team fair enough um other roster cut down thoughts uh, i was trying to think about who else might be really on the bubble and we don't think there's a ton of spots available we think this roster is in pretty decent shape uh, but a name that keeps coming up in, in roster projections now that's been different from roster projections a month ago uh darren Kennard. the you know this is a guy who was drafted and i think everybody wrongfully applied the trey smith label to him day one and said this guy is going to be a starter from day one they're going to be mauling folks on the right side of that line for years to come. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out anywhere near the way that Trey Smith did. Uh, he didn't win a job early in camp. He wasn't the taking all of the starters' reps uh, all the way through the, the offseason. In fact, he was in late in every preseason game uh, with the twos and with the threes, you know, and, and so uh, – now everybody seems to be saying that he's off the roster. I'm not so sure that he's actually going to be cut. I, I'll believe that maybe when I see it. Uh, I could see I could see why. I won't be shocked if he is. Uh, but in my projection, I think I've got him as one of the last couple folks on the roster that they're going to carry and, and, and just hope to continue to develop. Um, I've heard some talk about him maybe being a guard in, in, in the future, that a lot of teams – had him ranked as a guard and, and the Chiefs tried him at tackle first and maybe they'll they'll hang on to him and, and try to develop him into a guard. Maybe that's on the practice squad. Maybe that's on the game day and active list. But of all the draft picks, he's probably one of two that are maybe now listed as unlikely to make the roster. Yeah, and I think, I mean, honestly, coming into the draft, that was one of his things was could he, could he hang on the outside and NFL pass protect, and that was his that was his big knock, and the reason why he slid down to the fifth round. The difference between him and Trey Smith is that Trey Smith slid because of health concerns. Otherwise, he was a late first round, early second round guy. You know, he was considered one of the best guards in the entire draft last year. Um, could could Kennard be 
an excellent guard in, in this league. I think he definitely has the makeup, and he could be a really good guard. The problem is, is that the Chiefs don't have a need for a backup guard at the moment. And even if you look at it, like, is he a better backup guard than Nick Allegretti? I don't know. Probably not. You know, and so at that point, if he's not going to play tackle, is he a fit for your roster? And so that, so maybe it's it's just saying, you know, hey, yeah, maybe he could be a really good guard, but we don't have a need for a guard. We're, we're guard rich, you know, on this team. So Godspeed, and let's let him, let's release him, see if he gets through to the practice squad, and we can hold on to him if we if he does. But otherwise, then you know, Godspeed, let's let him go to a place where he can be successful. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. I, I I do feel like it can go either way because the depth of that offensive line is not it's not blowing anybody away at this point. We saw that in the preseason games. You know, once the the, the front line got out, uh, there was no chance for a running game, and and you know Shane Bouchelle was uh, was using his legs uh, probably more than what you'd be comfortable with Mahomes doing. So I think there's the you know there's an opening in the back end of that offensive line room, maybe for an outside addition. Uh, maybe for Kane, to, I'm sorry, for Kennard to to sneak his way in there uh, and, and just be a developmental player like they did with Prince Tega Winogo, who who we think probably is going to make the roster at least for another year. So um, those are some of the names to watch. I think uh, Blake Bell uh, with his IR situation, Ronald Jones, uh, Darren Kennard, uh, I, I think those are some of the guys that this this whole roster thing swings on unless they go and trade somebody. Do you think there's anybody on this roster, Rocky, that they can actually trade away for assets and that they realistically would do so? Let's, I think that they could trade somebody for some assets. It's going to be something, though, like, cha- like trading for like a Charvarius Ward, who's an unknown uh, commodity at the time of, of trading, and you see something in him that you think you can coach up. We're not going to go out there and you know trade somebody – for a second round pick or for a day one starter, you know, with the, cause with the guys that we're probably going to give up. Uh, but I think Jones is, does have some trade value to a team out there. Um, running backs are always iffy though. You know, teams don't want to pay a lot for a running back for, for good measure, just because there's a lot of running backs that are talented and they teams have found the formula to find it, to find a running back and just, you know, make do with a guy who's athletic and can run the ball pretty well. Um, So beyond that, I mean, looking at the roster, there's a couple of guys you could possibly trade uh, maybe along the line, a guy who I think, I don't know if he has any trade value, what you would get for him, but if you get anything for a Joshua Kane, though, if you don't think he's going to make the roster, there may still be a team out there that sees that he was the number one overall recruit the year he came out of high school and that he just wasn't coached up in, at FSU and then he was injured last year and they think, hey, there's some upside there. We'll give a seventh-round flyer for him or something like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, Kendo I, feels like an odd man out in, in this uh, edge room, even though they're not loaded there either. Seems like the last roster spot is going to come down to him or uh, Herring, and Herring has frankly shown more in the preseason games and and, and his his action that they've had. Um, so so yeah, I could see Kando moving on in, in one form or another. Whether they can get an asset for him or not, I, I would guess that they couldn't. But but hey, if they can, then then, then you know that probably makes some sense. <clears throat> the only other guy I could think of was Taylor Stallworth, who who I think um, had some value, but he's just f- flatly been outplayed 
by Colin Saunders, who, you know, maybe that's a surprise, but uh, Saunders, you know, has been the better player. And and to me, those two are competing for one roster spot. Uh, If Stallworth is the odd man out, maybe they get a little something for him. He's had some, some productivity in, in, in small sample size back with Indianapolis. Yeah. I, I could definitely see that being the case. Um, you know, he's a guy who seems like he's an odd man out on this roster. Um, it, it, there's not going to be like five trades. I mean, you know what I mean? So we're really talking about one guy most likely is going to get traded and he's going to get traded for something, either a player for player swap or something small. Right. And so, you know, I could definitely see it being Stallworth. So you, you've been uh, the Shane Michelle stand here. So, are you, any chance that uh, they clear out a spot for Bouchelle by by moving Chad Henney? Hey, maybe you know, anything's possible, my friend. Um, I think that there's a lot of teams that, especially with young quarterbacks, that 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 would like to have somebody like Henney who can who can steady the ship, you know, if need be, who can come in on a spot start if somebody gets injured, um, you know, somebody like the Chicago Bears could be interested in somebody like Chad Henney. Um, but, you know, so it's a possibility. It, it, it all depends on how, on, on legitimately how high are the Chiefs on Shane Bouchelle. Um, I think at this point he's shown me enough that he's at least as good now as Chad Henney is. And the difference is, is that Shane Bouchelle is young and he's an ascending player where Chad Henney at his best was better than Shane Bouchelle is now. Not a question, but he's a guy who's in decline versus a guy who's in ascension. And so you kind of find that, that, you know, rising, falling median and you, and you cash in at the right point. It's a little bit of a hot take there that Bouchelle is already better than Henny is at this point in their careers. I, I, I don't know if I buy that yet. I think Bouchelle's had a nice preseason, uh, but we've seen a lot of players have good preseasons and then, you know, don't amount to much after that. I don't think I would feel good about him being a spot starter if Mahomes misses a game or two. You know, would you really think that they're going to go out and win games with Shane Bichelle at quarterback at this point? I, I don't know. I don't know if Henny's going to go out and win games at this point. I mean, he's he he looks like he's lost a step to me, honestly. Like, and that's the thing is in the middle game, Henny's way better than Bouchelle, way better. But Bouchelle's a better athlete at this point. I mean, I just don't know if Henny if Henny has it, you know, to go a full NFL game at this point. Well, anything's possible. So we'll wait and see what happens over the next couple of days when it comes to trades as well. Uh, hey, with Rocky joining us, I thought we'd do something fun. I, I wanted to play a little game. I'm going to call the punctuation game. So the punctuation game to me means uh, I want a handful of guys uh, from Rocky and from me that, you want to put an exclamation point after the name to say, man, this guy has has uh, has been or will be something special, something fun, something unexpected. Uh, so so there's a handful of guys that maybe have an exclamation point when you talk about them, and then others that may have a question mark at the end. So uh, give me a couple of question marks, a couple of exclamation points uh, of guys that you believe are going to be on this roster and are going to be impact players and some that maybe you're, you're questioning at this point. My, my first exclamation point is George Karloftis, <sighs> furious George, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Matt Stagner, uh, you know, did the film review for furious George pre-draft and, you know, 
And I, I was with you pre-draft that I thought that he was a mediocre prospect in my eyes. And I've, he looks faster, stronger, more violent with his hands. His motor seems, seems like it doesn't quit. And I've been a hundred percent won over to the furious George size side with this limited preseason sample. I think the chiefs got a dude, you know, in the draft in, in, in George Karloftis. And I think we got somebody who can really get after the quarterback. Yeah. I, I'm going to continue to wear this thing for a little bit. I, I'm not ready to totally eat crow on it yet. Uh, but I will say that of the concerns that I had were that the things that he did in college wouldn't translate when he, when he was facing top competition in the NFL, uh, the types of tackles that he's going to be up against are the types that completely shut him down his senior year of college. So uh, I still think there's a little bit yet to prove, but I do think that he's showing that the things that he can do well do work in the, at the NFL level. And, and, and to me, that is a sign for hope. Um, I'm not ready to, to call it a, you know, a, a rookie of the year candidate. Although, you know, if, if he can continue on this pace, uh, if he's getting, he's not going to get a sack every, every game he plays, but if he gets a sack in every other game he plays, uh, that's defensive rookie of the year pace. Uh, and if, and if all he does is what he's done so far, he might come up with a sack every other game, uh, just from hustling, just from pushing guys back off the line of scrimmage and just from continuing, you know, uh, for quarterbacks that may hold the ball against this young secondary, who's, you know, who should be a step forward in coverage this year. So there's reason to, to be hopeful about him. I'm not sure that I'm putting an exclamation mark mark after his name yet, but there's at least uh, less question marks than what I would have had. So, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and say, by the way, this game, it doesn't have to be a player. It can be a position uh, or a player. And, and so as we talk about where the exclamation points are, where the – question marks are I still think that there is a question mark at the edge position even with Carl Loftus playing well um Frank Clark there's some hope there but we still don't know number one is he going to hold up for a, a 17 game season he's been missing practice again um you know the new leaner meaner Frank Clark that can move again we hope that he's good again but that's a question mark at this point uh, Carl Loftus obviously is coming on pretty well, um, but Dunlop has been hurt. He hasn't he hasn't really seen the field yet. Uh, you know, my Dana maybe looks a little bit improved, but there's just not a lot there at that edge position um, outside of Carl Loftus so far that we've seen in the preseason that is going to answer all of those questions. So I'm just going to leave that whole position as a question mark until further noted. Yeah, I mean – it still remains to be seen what clean living is doing for Frank Clark, right? Um, he seems to be recommitted to the game and he's seen, he's slimmed down massively. Um, you know, it's, 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 you can visibly see it. Um, he's got this whole uncle Frank persona now where he's out there, you know, mentoring the young guys and, and everything. And those are all signs pointing up. Like, like you said, durability has been an issue for him throughout his entire career. Um, but signs are pointing up, but we're definitely at a wait and see, 
kind of kind of kind of space there. And then outside of Carlotta, it's like you said, we haven't seen Dunlap really do anything in a Chiefs uniform yet. He's yet to really to really get on the field and make an impact. And then Mike Dana does look better, but he's still a guy who who needs to take steps forward to be a consistent cont- contributor. And then Malik Herring is a guy that that we we kind of we kind of see bright spots in, but he hasn't put it all together yet. So yeah, it's definitely as a, as a, as a group, it's a hopeful question mark, but it's a question mark nonetheless. All right. Um, who else you got question marks or exclamation points? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my next uh, exclamation point, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep it a little positive here and just go with some exclamation points. Uh, my exclamation point is going to be for the linebackers. Um, in general, um, the starting linebackers to be specific. Um, so far in the preseason, Nick Bolton come into last year. We all knew he was a tackling machine, but we didn't know if he could cover guys in the NFL. I think we saw in the preseason so far, Nick Bolton, his pass coverage, he's taken a step forward with it. Nick Bolton looks more like a complete player than he was last year. Um, last year, Willie Gay Jr., there was some things made about him, about some off-field issues. Um, where he had a little bit, he had, had a couple little things off field, but then we come to find out that that's honestly, you get down to the core of that. It's about him being a loving father and, you know, and him wanting to be there for his son and all these things and him really being like a committed kind of guy to his family, you know, when it's all said and done him kind of viewing, you hear him talk, he calls himself the juice man, that he's like the spirit and the soul of this defense and him kind of viewing and talking about how much he actually cares about his teammates and people in general. And he's kind of seems like to invest a lot of his energy in them. And that investment of energy seems to be, you know, spreading itself amongst the linebacker group because these guys are playing with a lot of juice, playing with a lot of energy. And Willie Gage Jr. is all over the field. He's always been a sideline to sideline guy, but now he's, he's, he used to be a reactionary player. And now he seems to be diagnosing the play and attacking instead of just reacting. And so, and then also, I mean, can't, can't, can't talk about the linebackers, you know, without mentioning my guy, Darius Harris in the last game, he was just everywhere, man. He was, he was an animal. Yeah. That one series was, was unbelievable. That was, uh, that was Derek Johnson against the Raiders all of a sudden uh, in this, you know, obviously in a preseason game, you know, if that meant anything, if, if there were still questions about where he fit on this roster, he would have answered him really quickly there and, and secured himself a spot. He probably was on the roster anyway. Um, you know, as we talk about that linebacker room, obviously it's it's Gay and Bolton that are the headliners. They're the next big duo in the NFL, and I think there's there's a, a lot of reason to believe that they're going to be at a Pro Bowl level at getting some national attention. Uh, I think they're, the potential is absolutely there for that. Uh, I'm excited to see how that plays out. The third linebacker, we hope is Leo Chanel. Uh, I'm not 100% sold that, uh, that the defensive coaching staff is going to give him that opportunity to really shine, uh, but he might just forcibly take it. He seems like that kind of guy just in general. So we'll see how that all plays out. But behind them, you know, you're looking at uh, Harris and, and Elijah Lee, right? That's That's the way we have our roster drawn up right now. Uh, it seems to make a lot of sense, and I think that gives you the right types of depth that can play special teams, uh, that can be a little bit versatile for you uh, with, with a veteran and, and a younger player, uh, you know, ahead of them. So 
uh, yeah, I think that position group is is certainly certainly ascending, and, and it really could be just with Gay and Bolton that could be the, a huge exclamation point for this season. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, I think that you know, anytime you got a solid linebacking core, you got it, it really goes. I mean, it's the middle of your defense, right? You know, mm. like you, you say the game's won in the trenches, but really. You know, if you have a solid linebacking core, you're you're preventing chunk plays on the ground because they're not getting they're not getting past that that first level most of the time. So, I mean, hey, I, speaking of the the next level, a question mark and an exclamation point, both on rookie cornerbacks. I'm going to give Joshua Williams a question mark and Jalen Watson an exclamation point. And and I think these guys have have come out uh, and and taken two different paths you know, so far on the preseason, you know, I really think that early on Williams was the, was the talk of camp, right? Maybe before the pads went on, maybe before uh, the preseason game started, you know, that size and length that uh, really showed out on the, on the practice field, but slowly, but surely Jalen Watson started playing. And when those lights came on, uh, he really seemed to not only outperform his, his draft stock, you know, as, as a late round pick, uh, but, but really solidified his spot on the roster and maybe as somebody that they can contribute, that they can count on to contribute. And maybe he's even going to contribute sooner than Joshua Williams at this point. So uh, it's probably not even a hot take at this point. I think everybody's, you know, seen that over the last couple of games, but uh, I think you got to be excited about both guys long-term. I think there's a place for both of them. There's a role for each, but I think, there's, there are more question marks at this point for Joshua Williams than there are for Jalen Watson. I think Watson's answered more of the questions that he would have had coming into the draft. And Williams has just shown that he's got a lot going for him, but a few things he needs to work on. Uh, and, and so it'll be interesting to see how those roles play out. But don't be surprised if Watson uh, is playing ahead of Williams. I, I tell you what, if – if I got to put a guy in a man coverage situation, I'm taking Watson over Williams all day long. I think that as a pure coverage guy, Watson is, I mean, I think he's leaps ahead of Williams at this point, to be honest. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, um, you know, Williams, he, he he's never played a single game against a power five conference team prior, you know, in, in college at all. Right. And so the level of competition just wasn't, wasn't the same i think that williams is learning right now that in the nfl being in position isn't enough to just make the play these guys make their living off of winning 50 50 balls and winning contested catches and you got to get in there and you got to finish the play because we see a lot of times joshua williams is in the right spot or he's in the guy's hip pocket and the guy still catches the ball he has to get in there and be a dog and fight for the ball and actually physically break it up and i think that we see a little bit more of that from watson um with Watson not being as big of a football player, he's extremely fast, which is I think really helps him in coverage. But in run defense, you'll see him get pushed back a little bit, right? And so he is a little bit of a liability in run defense. But if you're bringing him in as a dime back or a nickel back and using him as pure coverage, I think it's Watson all day long at this point. I think that's fair. Again, I think from a physical standpoint, Joshua Williams should be your better press corner when he gets there, when when he's ready just might take a little bit longer and, and and that's all right. I mean, he's a rookie. He's still a mid round pick. He's not somebody that's going to be expected to, to play day one, like Trent McDuffie. Uh, McDuffie has already, you know, seems to have eliminated all the question marks around him 
already, and, and nobody's even talking about him that much. Uh, he's he's shown pretty good, pretty solid coverage and the ability to knock the ball out if somebody does catch it. Uh, he, he's playing through the hand, through the ball, and, and breaking up passes at the very last second uh, to compensate for his size. It, it just looks like there's there's no question about McDuffie. He's just the guy, and he's there. Uh, he's going to have his role, and and uh, he, he's just he's just already expected to be a very very solid player. Um, you know, the the others are going to have to maybe prove a little bit more. Yeah, I think that you see with McDuffie, you see that he's a he's a Washington cornerback. You know, it, that's that's cornerback you, you know, um, and and he's he you you see why they traded up for him because it's not that he is you know the sauce gardener locked down never going to give up a touchdown in the in the history of the world kind of cornerback but he's a professional ready cornerback day 1 who's going to come in and play either slot or boundary for you and he's not going to get toasted you know he's not going to he's not going to make the major mistakes that's just going to get roasted all day long he's going to hold his own and and you know what else at least so far in the preseason, they don't throw at him. He, he's, he doesn't get as many opportunities to make plays because they simply look the other way when he's in coverage. And so I, I think, again, those are those are really good signs. A lot of your better cornerbacks in this league are fairly invisible because they just they just don't don't get thrown at. They don't get challenged. And, and uh, I, I hope that that continues to be the case for McDuffie. Uh, do you have any other question marks or – exclamation points you want to squeeze in before we go to break yeah i got one more question mark and my question mark is actually for uh steve spagnolo and the uh, defensive coaching staff and it's how are you going spagnolo does not like to start rookies and he has to start rookies this year he has a really young defense you know the, the chiefs lost a lot of players after last year there's a bit of an overhaul in the secondary especially uh How's Spagnuolo going to monitor and 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 manage these reps of these young guys? Because I don't think you can put an entire young guy out there for the entire game. But he's going to have to kind of switch them in and out and get and do a little bit of gamesmanship and scheme things up a little bit to hide some weaknesses early on, especially. And so the question mark is: How is Steve Spagnuolo going to go against his natural tendencies of of I want to put out my best, most veteran players and then just beat you? Right. And then instead saying, okay, well, I'm going to have to kind of mask the mistakes and then teach these guys in game as it's going on. So that's my question mark right there. Yes, that's fair. I don't have a lot to add to that one. Um, I'm going to still throw a question mark on the right tackle position. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sold that Andrew Wiley is that guy. I think he's, he's going to be solid enough that, you know, it's passable, but. I don't feel like that position is really settled. I'd be curious to see if they end up looking at some right tackles in in roster cutdowns or trades uh, coming into the season. I think you're spot on. Um, when I said earlier that the Chiefs were rich at guard, I was considering Andrew Wiley in that mix. Um, I don't think the Chiefs have a true starting right NFL right tackle at this point in time. Um, I think that of all the guys they have, Andrew Wiley is the best guy not named Lucas Niang, right? But Niang's not available right now. Um, so I think that the Chiefs have a definite need for a right tackle, and they tried to address it with Kennard. But unfortunately, he's just not NFL ready at tackle at this point. So they're, I think they're 
they're kind of doing a little this is this is the scary thing this is honestly you make a good point because coming into this season if i have one concern it's my, my number one concern is the right tackle because i still have ptsd from from you know chiefs versus bucks in the super bowl and patrick mahomes running for his life because we were starting guards at tackle right because we didn't have any tackles and so i mean the chiefs need a right tackle and you still saw that again and once the first team offensive line was out this preseason you saw everybody running for their lives again so it just makes you wonder maybe they don't feel like they're as deep as they should be at this point um there's still a lot of question marks about the depth and potentially that starter right tackle i was gonna say well yeah anytime you hear andy reed mentioned well we can always have joe joe thuny play tackle you know that's that that tells you everything you need to know right there. Like they don't feel good at tackle, and they're talking about moving, you know, their one of their superstar guards out to tackle. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't see that as a realistic option. It just feels like a emergency scenario or maybe a leverage play there in, in that conversation at the time because that was about Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, but we do have to pay a couple bills. Get to give our sponsors a chance to talk here. But on the way out to break, you know. Rocky, it's a tradition on the Out of Structure podcast that we do a Would You Rather, uh, sometimes Chiefs-related, sometimes not. Uh, So mine this week for you comes from my experience at the preseason game uh, against Washington. Uh, We had the 300-section seats, uh, section 301, right in the sunny side uh, in the middle of August, uh, and and it uh, it was rather toasty. And so it just made me wonder, would you rather sit in the 300 section in the sunny side in August or in the shady side in January, all else being equal, uh, which in Arrowhead, which of those two uh, scenarios is the least painful for you? Think about that as we go to break. When we come back, we'll have the would you rather. We have a a handful of good questions from Twitter. Uh, We always appreciate you guys asking good questions. So we'll get some of those in. Uh, and we'll find out uh, Ron's preference on the weather at Arrowhead right after this on the Out of Structure podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back on the Outer Structure Podcast. This is Matt Stagner here with Rocky Magania filling in for Ron Cobb Jr. Rocky, when we went to break, we said, would you rather sit on the 300 section of Arrowhead in the sunny side in August or the shady side in January, all else being equal, uh, hot or cold at Arrowhead, what do you prefer? Uh, I've I've done both of these numerous times, and for my money, I would rather be cold than hot any day. And the reason why is at some point when it's hot, 
there is just no escaping it. There's nothing you can do to make the fact that you are hot and sticky and miserable any, any better. There's nothing you can do to fix it. Um, I, I know I, I live in Tampa right now. That is, that is my daily life. And when it's cold, put on some more layers, you're out there tailgating. There's some certain, you know, beverages that you can have to kind of warm up your core a little bit. Um, you know, you can, you can huddle down for warmth with your friends. You know, it's a, it's a bonding moment. Uh, but, and, and it's cold, it's, but it's fine. Like you can do things when it's cold to, to make it less miserable, but when it's hot, there's just no escaping it. You are just a prisoner to the heat. So yeah, that's just a general life philosophy. I think I agree with you there. All right, let's get into some questions here. And the first question I wanted to address this week actually came from the AP editor show from our guys, John Dixon, Pete Sweeney had this question come in on a review and it was about Rocky actually. And, and, and the question essentially, I'm just going to paraphrase here and just ask Rocky, why do you hate McCole Hardman? Rocky, you got some, you got some answering to do. Go ahead. Listen, listen, listen. I do not hate McCole Hardman. A lot of this is, is, is stemmed from a disagreement that me and Ron are currently having, where he said that McCole Hardman was going to be the leading receiver for the chiefs this year. And I said, that's not the case. I said, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be the leading receiver. And if not him, probably Sky Moore or MVS. But McCall Hardman, under no circumstances, will be the Chiefs' leading receiver. And that's nothing against McCall Hardman. He is what he is, which is a deep speed threat and a manufactured touches type of guy who can be used as a weapon. He is a Rocket Ismail. He is a James Jett. He is a John Ross. He is all of these things. He is a weapon, and he brings something to the table that other guys don't have. But what he is not is a complete wide receiver who runs a complete root tree, who can catch the ball in traffic, who can who can win a contested catch, you know, who is a guy who you can count on on third and long to move the chains consistently and be where he's supposed to be. Um, I, I do not dislike McCall Hardman. I think he's he's a very enigmatic enigmatic guy. I think he has a great personality. I think he's fun. He seems like he's a really good bowler from the franchise last season. Uh, McCall Hardman seems like a really, really genuinely nice guy who likes being a chief and likes Chiefs Kingdom. But I just want to have an honest you know, conversation and, and view of what he is, and that's an offensive weapon, but not a complete wide receiver. Yeah, and I think the Chiefs believe that as well. You know, if if he was a complete number one type wide receiver, uh, I'm not sure they bring in as many other options this offseason as they did. Uh, you know, obviously when he was drafted, there was a reason for it. There was a specific usage and role for him. His rookie year actually was was pretty phenomenal in, in, in some ways. The fact that he – all he did was make giant plays his rookie year. And, and – that sort of dropped off a little bit um, in, in this, the following year, but it, he still has that ability to get to get deep, to get him in space. I uh, can just absolutely still run past the defense. Uh, so I think there's a role for him this year. Uh, I think it may be even a bigger role than it was last year or, or year to date or career to date for, for McColl. Um, but yeah, it would be a little bit hard to, to, to see him as the leading receiver uh, for for the team, because because that should absolutely be Juju's job, uh, and and I think the the Chiefs actually sort of acknowledge that as well with a 
with an adjustment to his contract this week that added another half a million or so in in incentive uh, uh, bonuses, basically, um, on a one-year deal, to me, is, is pretty unusual. And, and so I, I stole this question from Twitter from MC Reach, who's a great follow on Twitter, if you, if you haven't followed him already. Uh, do you think that adjustment to Juju's contract suggests that the Chiefs would like to keep him past this year or that they would extend his contract? Yeah, I do. I think that I think that Andy Reid and Brett Veach have both in the past, you know, spoke of their affinity for Juju Smith-Schuster and his game. I think that Andy Reid likes that Juju Smith-Schuster goes out and gets the, the tough yards. Um, and I think they are also are realistic that they only have him on a one-year contract. And he's also said in the past that he's not ruling out a return back to, to back to Pittsburgh. I mean, it's not, it's not lost on, on anybody that Juju Smith-Schuster decided to come to Kansas city once Ben Roethlisberger retired. And then they had a question mark at the, at the quarterback position. He needed a rebound year where he could, he could rehab his stats. And so he comes to Kansas city in the past first offense, where he can have a big year and then come and then hopefully sign a multi-year deal with either the chiefs or another team after this year. So I think it's a prudent move by Brett Veach to try to, you know, it never hurts to put a little extra cheddar in somebody's pocket to get them, to get them in your good graces. You know, if you're going to try to sign them long, long term. And I think that that's the chief's plan. And I think that Juju wants, wants, wants to pay, wants a payday, you know, in the off season. So, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out, but it definitely seems like it's, that, that, that is the idea that they're going with. Yeah. Even though his production really wasn't there in the preseason games, he has the look and feel of the number one guy in this offense and, and number one guy from the standpoint of just as you just described that McColl wasn't as, as you were telling us how much you hate McColl personally, that you have a problem with him on a, on a real deep personal level. That's what I just heard from you. Anyway, Juju is certainly going to be that guy that they can throw to on, on third down. Uh, they can make the tough catch over the middle, the contested catch. He, he'll do a lot of those things. Uh, to move the chains and just to really just be that guy um, that, that Mahomes can rely on. And they built that rapport this offseason. Any talk of Juju returning to Pittsburgh to me uh, feels a little strange because obviously when a guy's been in one place for, for the early part of his career, um, he, he develops an affinity there for the community, for the team, for the franchise that drafted him. And then, you know, when things don't work out there and he has to go somewhere else, uh, you know, there may be some like, hey, let's leave that door open. Uh, but he might just find if he has a productive season this year, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl again. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, this may feel a lot more like home to him than than, than even Pittsburgh did at the time. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But um, I do think that he's somebody that the Chiefs would like to try to keep. Uh, and this is just a, a pretty nice uh, a goodwill gesture. Uh, for them to to go ahead and, and give them a little extra uh, coin in the pocket for their likely for their number one receiver. Yeah, um, I think I think that's a hundred percent the case. I think that it's interesting that you know I think that one of the reasons why he may want to go back to Pittsburgh is just would be Mike Tomlin that he is a player's coach, and I think Juju really enjoyed playing for him. But if you're going to talk about players coaches in the NFL, you're gonna, that, if you're going to say Mike Tomlin in the exact same breath, you're going to say Andy Reid. You know, uh, Le'Veon Bell aside, no other player has ever said they don't like playing for Andy Reid. You know, uh, 
people love Andy Reid. The players love Andy Reid. You know, that's why they call him Big Red. You know, they, they have an affinity for the guy. And so I think that winning, it's fun. And so I think if he comes, if, if Juju Smith-Schuster comes here and the Chiefs win a lot of football games this year and they have a lot of success, then, yeah, he could definitely say, you know what, I got a good thing going here. Let's just keep it rolling. And he'll have that opportunity. I mean, with McColl being on a contract year, um, you know, really it's it's MVS and, and uh, Sky Moore uh, are the only ones under contract long term. So they're going to need another receiver next year one way or the other. And so why not be Juju after a successful year this season? So we'll – Definitely uh, something to watch as this season goes along, how Juju evolves into this offense and how happy he is catching passes from Mahomes and playing for Andy Reid. Uh, well, with that, let's get to some more of the people's questions from Twitter. Um, how about our guy Jared Sapp uh, at Truman Chief on Twitter? Are we at the point now where veteran running backs see what happened with Shady McCoy, Le'Veon Bell, and now Ronald Jones? Maybe they stopped taking Brett Beach's phone calls. So you just mentioned – uh, Le'Veon Bell, the, the guy who who burned bridges uh, after playing for Andy Reid. I, I think what Jared's question here is really like, are veteran running backs not getting a fair shake here? Are they being used, you know, for, for some insurance policy and then hung out to dry um, a, after leaving the Chiefs? I, I think you could maybe make that case, couldn't you, Rocky? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could. Um, you know, Carlos Hyde's another guy that comes to mind on – and that, um, but I think what the real question is, is that if you're getting 90% of what you're going to get out of these veteran guys at 10% of the cost, then why would you be paying these veteran guys, you know, to come in and play, you know, for a year or two or on a one year deal when you can have an undrafted free agent running back or a rookie running back that you have four years of control over? at a much at a much cheaper price who's going to be giving you the exact same production and the exact same you know type of play um unfortunately that's where the running back position is in the nfl right now is that if you're not named dalvin cook alvin kamara derrick henry you know maybe a couple other guys then you're expendable you know and so you know if 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 teams are looking at, at crunching the salary cap and they want to find a place where they can still get good players at a cheap cost, they look running back. You know, they're not teams aren't going to spend a lot on running back. Yeah, I mean, running backs are fungible. They're they're interchangeable. They can be, you know, you can just plug a guy in. You can pick up a running back off the street this next week in roster cuts, plug him in the lineup and, and start him next week if you wanted to. Uh, you know, there's there's some ins and outs of the offense that that, that running backs need to learn, but but they are. It seems like it's a position where uh, you can get somebody up to speed pretty quick if they have the physical ability to play the position and the and the blocking is is there. Uh, then it it doesn't really matter. So so yeah, I mean, NFL teams frankly treat a lot of players like they're expendable or or uh, replaceable, but but probably none more than the running back spot. So so no, I, I don't think people are going to stop taking Brad Feach's phone call because if you're a running back approaching age thirty you're going to appreciate anybody's phone call because the opportunities just aren't uh, that plentiful uh, for you at that point. Uh, either way, whether it's here in Kansas City or somewhere else, uh, you're going to answer the call. And let's not act like there's no veteran running backs that have had success you know, with Brett Veach and Andy Reid. I mean, Jarek McKinnon, case in point, 
you know, he's been pretty successful here and he's a veteran guy. Um, Damian Williams wasn't a rookie when he showed up to Kansas City, you know, and he won a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. you know, had one of the most memorable plays in Chiefs history. So yeah. it's you you can be a successful veteran running back. It's all about managing expectations, I think. Absolutely. How about our guy, Jake Wilson, uh, at Jake for now with the underscores in there on Twitter? Should we expect the Chiefs to be more or less reliant on Mahomes' magic to win games this season? Um, and it's a two-part question here, uh, but but let's let's start with that one. Uh, and I, I assume he's not talking about the cereal here, Mahomes' magic crunch, uh, but actual Mahomes' magic. Are they going to be relying on Mahomes more this season than maybe other seasons in the no, absolutely. Actually, I think it's the opposite. I think that they're relying less on Mahomes' magic this year because um, I think that while last year it was really kind of a, a two-read offense where you look Kelsey, then you look Hill, and then you run around and then you try to make something happen, I think that this year, even though that top-end talent in Hill is gone, you have those. You have a lot more mid-range targets than you had last year. You know, you have Jody Fortson healthy you got you got travis kelsey you got mvs you got sky Moore, you got juju i mean that right there that's five five targets right there that you can reliably count on throwing the ball to um so i think that he's going to be able to play within the system a little bit better and spread the ball around a whole lot more which is going to which is going to remove some of the reliance on the mahomes magic yeah i think going back to the previous game you can put an exclamation around the whole receiving group at this point because I think he's just got so many options, uh, so much more depth with that. And, and I think there is something to that. Uh, you know, if if Kelsey and Hill are covered, then they were in big trouble in previous seasons. And and we saw that time and again uh, when those guys would miss the game, everybody said, all right, now it's time for Byron Kringle. Now it's time for Demarcus Robinson. There's all these guys to step up and do something. And, and, and frankly, uh, it didn't happen, and, and now other teams are, are going to be kind of hanging around wishing for those guys to perform while the Chiefs went out and added multiple people who all have, at times in this preseason, this offseason process, all of them have shown uh, everything that you'd want to see from them. At times it's been Juju, at times it's been MVS, at times it's been Sky Moore, at times it's been McColl, which I think is a great sign uh, that Mahomes is just going to have his choice of who to throw the ball to on any given play. Uh, so it, on one hand, yeah, he's going to have a lot more help. He should have one of the top offensive lines in the league and a, one of the top uh, groups of pass catchers in the league and a, and a running back room that, well, we'll see about running back room. But they're, you know, are they going to rely less on Mahomes? Uh, well, that would require them to either be dominant on the defensive side of the ball or, or on the running back or on the running game. Um, no, I, I still think this team is going to live and die by Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's just going to have a lot more help in doing it than he has in years past. I mean, Matt, haven't you been on Twitter? Demarcus Robinson is Devontae Adams now. You know, he is he has the greatest release of any wide receiver in the history of the NFL. He once runs the world's most all-caps disgusting roots that you've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it, wow. it was so good that he, he got cut from the Raiders. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. Um, preseason and all from Ernest Hemingway at Errors Oceans uh, on Twitter. Preseason and all, are we going to see the Kansas City offense rely 
uh, more on non-Kelsey tight ends this season. So specifically the tight ends, uh, is Kelsey have some more help? And I'm just going to jump in here because uh, it is Jody Fortson's season. And, and the guy is uh, came back from injury in a, in a pretty quick fashion. And, and, man, has he been delivering. I thought the way that he played early in the season last year before he got hurt, uh, he, he not only didn't miss a beat when he came back this season, but, but it, I think he looks improved. Uh, he improved his blocking last season too, which might be enough to keep him on the field more often. So, so yeah, I think this is the year that you're going to see Jody Fortson specifically. I don't know about the whole tight end position, but Jody Fortson specifically getting a lot of red zone targets, uh, getting a lot of action in relief of Kelsey or in, in complement of, of Travis Kelsey um, at the tight end position. I'm not convinced about Noah Gray. I'm not, you know, I'm not super excited about Blake Bell, even when he comes back from injury, but, but Fortson alone uh, makes this question a yes. I mean, if you, if you look at my Twitter bio, you'll see that my Twitter is a Jody Fortson Stan account. Uh, I am, I am every day is fourth season for, for, for Rocky Magania. I think that Jody Fortson has, has the upside to be the second best tight end in this division. And I think, I think he could be that Darren Waller type of talent. He hasn't done it yet. So I'm not labeling him it yet. I'm talking potential. I'm talking unrealized potential at this point in time, which Darren Waller had a lot of unrealized potential at one point in his career that he had to prove uh, for different reasons. Um, but you look so at Fortson. So yeah. you put, you're putting Fortson behind only Kelsey in the whole division. I, I said potential, potential, <laughs> potential. I, love I mean, it. yeah, I'm saying, yeah, only behind Kelsey at tight end as far as potential goes, because athleticism-wise, he, he, he's as good as anybody. He's more athletic than Travis Kelsey is. Travis Kelsey is a much better receiver, runs much better routes, much more savvy of a player. But at this point in his career – I mean, Fortson is a better at like pure athlete. I mean, that's I think that's that's a fact. Um, I think that we saw the thing that that was really impressive in the last in the last preseason game was that, or the sorry week two preseason game was that you know both of his touchdowns were heavily contested, and he fought for the ball. He's got super strong hands, super long arms. Um, he's a touchdown machine when he's in the game. We saw that early last year. He had five receptions and two touchdowns. You know, um, I, I, I told, you know, I told Serta this on the post game show after that two touchdown performance is that, you know, if you want to give me an over under on fourth since touchdowns this year at eight, I'm hammering the over all, all day, <laughs> all day. Wow. Rocky bringing the, the heat. I, I told you we'd be in for some hot takes here with uh, with Ron out, but that's a yeah. I mean, eight is a big number for a tight Listen, end. Listen, second I, tight end. I think he's going to have three hundred yards receiving and eight touchdowns. That's what I think <laughs> it's going to be. I think they're going to get down in the red zone, and they're just they're going to throw the ball high and let him go make a play. Man, I, I'm just happy to have somebody that they're willing to throw a back shoulder throw to. And that's that's an element that this offense just just hasn't taken advantage of in the past that others. Others have. Well, we're running short on time here because this has been—it's been fun talking to my guy Rocky Magania here uh, with Ron Cop out. Uh, Ron will be back, I assume, next week as we start to prepare for the regular season. Uh, but while we have Rocky, let's talk about uh, Thomas Ramirez's question uh, at underscore or let's see T E R O three with some underscores in there on Twitter. 
Uh, Thomas always asks good questions. He asks, who's a sleeper to have a breakout season this season? So give me give me two, three guys uh, that you think are breakout candidates that maybe others aren't aren't really talking about. So uh the first one, I don't, th- I'm not, I'm not going to qualify him as a sleeper because I do think so highly of him, you know, so we can't talk about Jody Fortson as far as a sleeper. He's J- Jody Fortson is in my mind, the anti McCole Hardman, you know, I think that he is the complete player who, who's there all day long. So we won't talk about him as a sleeper. Um, my first sleeper is Justin Watson. We talked to him about him a lot here in the preseason. I think that the most telling thing was is on third and long, um, Patrick Mahomes went to him back-to-back times that when he needed a completion, he needed the chains moved. He went to Justin Watson. Uh, Justin Watson had an ugly drop last week. And then what they do the very next play, they went right back to him again. Um, I think that Justin Watson is kind of on that hinge right now where he's either going to be the next Marcus Kemp or he's going to, or he has the potential to be an actual contributor in this offense. It's all going to kind of ride on like that early season target that Mahomes gives them, like he did Marcus Kemp last year, where it went off Kemp's hands and then it turned into an interception and they didn't ever throw the ball to him again. I think that Watson's going to have one of those moments. And if he brings in the ball, he's going to be a contributor on offense. I keep going back to that quote from the, uh, right after the draft from the uh, the Chiefs front office. I can't remember who said it, but they said something to the effect of, hey, if these receivers can get to where they're supposed to be and actually catch the ball, uh, then, then, it's, <laughs> then that's what we're looking for. And, and, I, and I think that was a direct shot at some of these guys that have been been there in the last couple of years. And, and I think they've, they've clearly upgraded there. And I, I do think Watson might be a, an early contributor, uh, maybe even if it takes Sky more, a long time to develop, or, or at least a little bit longer to develop. Maybe Watson gets to contribute even before Moore does. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I think that's a good candidate. Um, I'm going to throw one out there that's that's certainly going to take a while to come around if he does. Uh, I got Lucas Niang. Lucas Niang is somebody who I still have uh, some belief in. I mean, I know that it's been a while since he's played football. Uh, the, the durability has been an issue for him. Uh, but if he can come off the PUP, and maybe he's got a chance to compete for that starting job. We mentioned that we still think the right tackle position is a question mark. Maybe Niang can still be part of that answer uh, when he comes back from the from the PUP midseason. Uh, can you see it, the Chiefs riding off into the sunset, uh, winning a championship with Lucas Niang at right tackle uh, after him being out so long? I mean, I wish just for this pure scenario – that you didn't have to declare who's in and out prior to the game that you could just say a guy is doubtful and then just leave it at that. And then like in the third quarter, Mahomes is running for his life that all of a sudden you see Lucas Niang running down out of the tunnel, like he's stone cold, Steve Austin coming down to save the day. Right. And he comes out and just blindside blocks a guy knocks him on his, on his keister, you know, and then comes in and leads the, you know, protects Mahomes and the chiefs win, win the playoff game or whatever. Like that'd be a wonderful scenario. And yeah, I do. I think Lucas Niang is the best right tackle on this roster. And so the Chiefs need him back if, if they're going to do a playoff run, I think, because nobody wants to see, you know, Mahomes running for his life in the playoffs again. Who's who's your next sleeper for a breakout season? So my next sleeper is uh, one that I that at one point we didn't even know if he was going to make the roster, and that's Colin Saunders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that bringing in Danny Shelton – and Taylor Stallworth lit a little bit of a fire under him. I think maybe he's gotten complacent over the last couple of years with his roster spot, and he saw that he was actually in danger of 
of losing a spot on the roster. And every now and again, you see a play out of Colin Saunders where he's just a thick, thick, thick man. And he will just grab somebody, another grown man, and just throw them aside like they don't even exist. Like he'll just ragdoll them and toss them aside and make an amazing play. Um, and I think if he can string some of those together, which I, I believe he will, because I feel like he's playing with a renewed kind of like fire because he's, he's literally playing for his sp- spot on this team and his reps out on the field. Um, I think that he has the athleticism, you know, that's the Chiefs drafted him based on athleticism. So I think, I think, you know, it's all about motivation for Saunders and I think he's got it this year. And so I, I, I think he's going to take a big, pretty big step forward. I mean, for him to be more than just a guy who could do a backflip at his size, I, I, it would be it, it would be a step in the right direction. Um, I, you're right, though. Something did change, and it was specifically uh, when 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 Danny Shelton was signed. That's that seemed to be the turning point for Saunders. I'm not really sure why that's what it took or why that was the turning point, uh, but for whatever reason, Saunders does be has been playing like a man possessed. The thing about the him that stands out to me is not his strength; it's his quickness. He's quicker than he should than anybody his size should be, uh, especially with his with his build. My only question with him though is, what does a breakout season for Colin Saunders look like? Like, to me, he's a guy that's been a game day inactive for most of his career when he's been on the roster. So, is a breakout season that he's you know in the rotation and he gets thirty percent of the snaps? Uh, or, or do you think there's actually some like, you know, statistical, uh, you know, contribution that we can expect from him? Yeah, let's say we'll we'll set the baseline at this as far as a breakout for Saunders, you know, because he's always going to be battling for reps, you know, with Naughty, and as long as Naughty's healthy, Naughty's going to get the majority of the reps, right? And so we're going to say twenty five percent of the snaps coming in at a. 70 or above PFF run run stop rating. So run defense. We'll say that for his breakout. 70 plus run stop at 25% of the snaps. All right. That's fair. All right. Give me one more sleeper for a breakout season. We're going to get out of here. All right. My last my last uh um breakout guy is uh Mike Dana. Mm. And I listen, like we're like I'm not saying he's going to go out and get 10 sacks, right? I'm not saying he's going to be a pro bowler, but I think Mike Dan is going to take a step forward. And I think that, you know, five, six sacks is not beyond the realm of possibility for him this year. Um, You saw uncle Frank, you know, teaching, uh, you know, giving, giving George Karloftis all of his Jedi sack tricks, but you, who was right there next to him. And every single one of those videos was Mike Dana learning right alongside him. And I think Mike Dana is a guy who's hungry. He's smart. And he comes in, he came in a little bit undersized what Spags actually wants as a prototypical defensive end. But there's something there that Spags likes because he doesn't fit the bill for what Spags wants, but yet he still is consistently on the field. And we see some production, we saw some production out of him last year. Like he's not a guy who's just a wash, who's just a, a space filler when he's out there. He has some juice to him. And so I think that, you know, as a as a rotational guy who comes in. We could we could see you know five sacks or so out of Mike Dana this year. Wow, yeah, I mean with him playing inside a little bit, uh, you know, I, I feel like the only limitation that he has is is just you know how many opportunities opportunities is he going to get? To me, that's a role that's uh, Tershawn Wharton, 
you know, it has sort of a similar, uh, similar potential role as a sub package kind of inside outside type guy. Uh, Dana might be more of an early down warden, maybe more of a passing down, but uh, they like to have a heavy rotation there. And, and I think Dana is going to be part of it. Um, I don't expect him to get more than his career high of uh, what three sacks, but, uh, but we'll see. Um, all right. I got one more breakout for you and he's a sleeper. Um, but if you've ever listened to me on a podcast, uh, he's not a sleeper in, in my eyes. Um, I think we're overlooking Clyde Edwards Alaire. I don't think it's been a really stellar preseason, um, but it hasn't been a stellar preseason for really any of the running backs, uh, even Isaiah Pacheco, who, who everybody's been talking about. Um, but, you know, when they, the lights came on for games, the, the, the numbers haven't been spectacular for any of these guys. But Clyde Edwards Alaire, healthy, you know, full offseason. He's the unquestioned number one running back here. Uh, nothing in this offseason that's happened has, has done anything but solidify the fact that he's the number one guy. Everybody else is fighting for roles on third down or, or as the number two back uh, behind Clyde. So if they're going to be a more balanced team, which we all hope that they are, but none of us are convinced that they actually are going to be, Clyde's going to have that opportunity. I see, you know, he's a guy that had, what, 1,100 total yards his, his rookie season. Um, even after missing some games. He'll probably miss some games this year, uh, but put me down for if the over-under is 1,500 total yards uh, for, for Clyde. Uh, I think I'm going to take the over. Wow. Wow. All right. <laughs> Do that. You know, well, here's the thing with Clyde, though. Clyde's one of those guys where you talk about guys who come in feeling spicy because their spot is threatened. Uh, you listen to Clyde in his in his pressers this year, and he's, he's got a little bit of an edge to him that I don't think he's had in years past where where he, he, he knows that his spot is not a given this year. He knows that the Chiefs really like Isaiah Pacheco. Um, so if he, if he doesn't come out and perform, then I think that he, he knows that he's, he's going to see his role reduced. So I think there is a big, big you know, reason for him to come out and perform. And as far as the preseason numbers go, I'm not concerned about him for any of the running backs just because – it takes eight touches for a running back to really get going in a game anyway. And you're talking about these guys are getting what three, four touches max, you know, before they have a chance to really get a feel for how the flow of the game, you know, how their, how their blockers are blocking and you know, what holes are, how the defense is playing and what, where the holes are opening up at throughout they're, they're, they're done for the day. Right. So, so I'm not concerned about the stats out of Clyde. Clyde's biggest thing has always been availability. You can't, you can't put up stats if you can't stay on the field. And so if Clyde can stay on the field, I think he could have a good year. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the history of Andy Reid running backs, this is kind of the year where they tend to break out. This uh, uh, you know fourth season-ish you know, is, is kind of that time. And, and so I think, I think it's Clyde's time. I think he's healthy. You know, I think he's got the opportunity in front of him. Uh, maybe a little competition pushing him from, from Pacheco. Not in the fact that he's Pacheco is all of a sudden going to be the number one back, but they're always going to have somewhat of a committee here. Uh, and if Clyde is getting the bulk of the carries, but when Pacheco comes in, he breaks off a couple of big runs, uh, that's going to start putting some pressure to, to maybe shift that math a little bit. And so so I don't know that, that day one there's going to be any question that Clyde is the number one guy. Uh, but, yeah, if, if the production you know is unequal – at some point that that could change. And so I, I still think Clyde is, is, 
going to have a big season. I'm not sure I'm going to draft him on my fantasy team this year. I had him the last two years, and it's been pretty frustrating. But uh, I, I think he's got I think he's got a shot uh, to put up a big season that would actually surprise uh, you know 95% of people who who uh, either watch the Chiefs or, or don't. You know, that's, I kind of feel a little bit like Pacheco today being on this show. You know, uh, you know, normally Ron is the Clyde Edwards Hilaire getting all the touches, and I get my chance to come in here and get a couple reps, and I'm just trying to break off a couple long runs for you. Hey, man, you knocked it out of the park. I, I appreciate you being here. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening, for sticking with us. Uh, make sure you're liking, rating, reviewing uh, all of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Uh, check out Rocky's work on arrowheadpride.com, uh, on the regular post-game shows. Uh, check him out on Twitter. Follow Rocky at Rocky Magani if you haven't already done so. Uh, thank you again for spending some of your time, some of your day with us. Uh, this could be a banner day for Chiefs news with the roster cuts, uh, with the, the regular season approaching. Uh, it's a fun time of, season, uh, of year, and, and I appreciate you spending your time and getting your news uh, with us. And Rocky, man, thanks for filling in. You're uh, you're the home run hitter that we need off the bench. Oh, man, it's been a blast. I love it, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime, bro. That'll do it for the Out of Structure Podcast. Join us again next week when Ron Cobb Jr. is back. And we're preparing for the regular season. Uh, thanks again. We'll talk to you all soon.